What we do here is go back, 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 back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. 10,000 No's is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us would consider to be successful is a way for the rest of us to realize that we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Maddie Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, or just let people know it exists and how you found it. If you can leave an iTunes review, even better. That really helps. Either way, I appreciate you listening, and I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. You know, do you have 15 black sweaters and four of them have huge moth holes in them? Lily Pettit started her own company, Clutter Healing, in 2011 after working in the fashion industry for several years. I was made aware of Lily through another 10,000 nose guest, Amy Budden, who joined us for the Train Your Brain episode. And immediately suspected that Lily must have had a unique path to becoming a house declutterer. Is that a word? I'm not sure. I was correct. As you'll hear, her business, as well as her successful career as a breath meditation teacher in Los Angeles, came out of some hardships she endured as a child. As always, I hope you enjoy our talk and find some inspiration. I am here with Lily Pettit. Uh, and she is a, can I say declutterer? Sure. Um, she's going to explain as I have everyone do explain what she does, uh, way better than I can try to do it. Uh, thank you for agreeing to sit down with me. Of course. I'm and, honored. Yeah. Well, I'm honored to have you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I, was connected to Lily through Amy Button. Anybody who listened to the train your brain episode with Amy Budden. Um, that was the connection. And that's been one of the joys of doing this podcast is that you sit down with really interesting people and somehow they end up connecting you to three more people that are really interesting. Um, so here I am with Lily and uh, Amy is trying to get us to use her services <laughs> and we're in a debate whether we want to let someone come in to our personal stuff and go, this is what you need to take and this is what you need to get rid of. And so I, maybe we could just start with that. Why don't you tell us the name of your company, where people could find you, and and then we'll kind of, I suspect there's going to be a kind of a cool story to how you got to do this. I don't know anybody else who's a declutterer. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So my name is Lily Pettit and the name of my business is Clutter Healing. Um, And basically what I do is I give people permission and support to let go of the things in their life and in their home specifically, but generally it's intertwined with things that aren't serving them in their life. Give them permission to let them go. Um, I would consider myself a holistic house healer. So I don't look at just one area that might be a problem area in a particular home, but really the overall landscape of what's working with their current lifestyle, what isn't working, where the areas where stuff and energy tends to accumulate and get clogged up, you know, where you're finding yourself wasting extra 10 minutes every single day because you can't find your car keys, or I forgot to sign my kid's permission slip, but where is it? Or... I get many of these texts in the middle of the night. Where is my child's dance recital performance outfit? I can't find it. (laughs) It's in the box that's marked costumes or whatever it is, you know, but most people are so used to living in a state of, I think, chaos and um, discomfort that it's almost like you were saying, it's a little unsettling sometimes to let someone come in and really see all of the things that maybe I might think are not working to the best of their, um, you know, the, the, the best that they can be, you know, and doing it also. And I think it's very important that my entire platform is all about non-judgment 
And I've heard many stories from many clients that have worked with organizers in the past that oh, I'm really, I was really afraid that she, you know, she, you were going to come in and make me get rid of everything. Um, or they've worked with people in the past, other organizers that were very hard and very, you know, black and white. And I look at a person's entire life really in our sessions to help determine what it is that they need or how willing they are at this particular moment to get rid of something. Um, it's funny that there's sirens right now because I'm really into symbology and <laughs> that is crazy. Well, what's interesting um, is so for everybody listening, there are sirens going past us somewhere, but I've found that in every interview I've done when I've heard something mm-hmm. and I comment on it, mm-hmm. th- my sound guy takes it out and it, it like sounds <laughs> like we're in, in like a vacuum. So James probably got rid of that by the time you're hearing this, but you may hear sirens. That's what we're referring to. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting. I'm talking about being non-judgmental and then there's sirens. So for a lot of people, this process can be scary because, you know, I'm literally going to go through your underwear drawer. I'm going to see maybe your deepest, darkest secrets in a session if I'm going through, you know, all of your belongings. Yeah. It's very personal. Mm. And the idea of it is, uh, is a little scary. It's kind of, um, I feel like a lot of the conversations I've had here, you know, I, I tended to have people that I'm interviewing that are very successful with what they do. And a lot of them, a lot of my journey lately has been, some of my friends who are uh, really in pretty good positions telling me I need to delegate more. I need to. Mm, and mm-hmm. part of delegating and I think part of the fear of taking that step is one, opening up and allowing someone. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of allowing some stranger in to look at your systems and mm-hmm. then help maybe correct them or just kind of like figure them out a little bit for you. And then there's also that kind of, I guess that's hand in hand with control and that's hand in hand with all of that stuff, but it's kind of necessary to free up time. Right. But how do you kind of, uh, how do you, that's a, there's a fine line. How do you get in there and make change, but then also have soft enough hands that you're not (laughs) scaring people. Right. Well, first of all, the client is always involved. I'm definitely not the organizer to hire. If you just want to kind of take the backseat, go have a couple beers with your friends (laughs) and let me do all the work. That's not who I am. And it doesn't, I've never found in those kinds of situations that it really benefits the client. Um, I'm the kind of person that wants you to touch all of your things. And I want you to be the one who it feels empowered to make the decision whether or not something stays or something goes. Am I going to very thoughtfully analyze what you have? And, you know, very basic things. Is this broken? Does it not work anymore? Is there a giant hole in it? You know, do you have 15 black sweaters and four of them have huge moth holes in them? (laughs) Or, um, you know, are your coffee mugs all cracked and chipped and, you know, not in their best shape. I'm going to, you know, be looking with a very curious and yet very thoughtful eye at all of the things that you have in your home and asking a lot of questions. You know, how does this make you feel? Does this bring you joy? You know, the ever famous Marie Kondo line, does this spark joy in your life? And I think it's okay to hold on to a broken chipped coffee mug if that lights you up every day. Right. I'm not going to say, no, you can't keep that because there's bacteria and things that are getting in that crack. <laughs> <laughs> Do I recommend that you keep it? No. But if it's something that makes you happy and you love having your morning coffee in it every single day, I mean, who am I to take that away from you? So it's really for me about blending that, you know, firm (laughs) touch and the nice firm suggestion of maybe you'd consider letting go of this to make space for something else to come in. And that's what I'm really curious about with my clients. It's like, this isn't working for you. Why, you know, and setting a really clear intention of what do you want to accomplish? You know, what do you want your space to feel like? How do you want this room to function? And we do a little bit of dream, you know, dream setting, you know, in an ideal world, this kitchen would have, you know, 15 people for a really intimate dinner party in it or, and then working backwards from that, you know, if that's really what you want, 
do you have all the serving wear that you need? Do you have, you know, a wine fridge or whatever the dream is for you? I really want to help people create that into a reality. And if you have an ice cream maker and a bread maker that you haven't used in 15 years and it's taking up your entire, you know, I kitchen Island, where, how is that blocking something else from coming in that maybe serves you in this day and age? I can't tell you how many wedding presents people hold on to because 20 years ago when they got married, that was really important to have the we pasta just maker. Had, oh my God. We, you, I got to tell you, we had a, uh, a vase, a vase, I say vase, mm. um, that was, I believe, a wedding gift. And it had been moved from... Let's see. It was in one place in Manhattan, another place in Manhattan, a place in Silver Lake, a place in West Hollywood, a place in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. a place in the Palisades. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had never been used. <laughs> it was taken <laughs> out when we moved, and it and it had a, it was broken, mm. but it was broken. The it was like a perfect heart. Mm, interesting. And Deirdre was like, "Ah, oh, that's that's so cool." And I was like. <laughs> Yes, it's very cool. We need to get rid of it. You know, but it was like, it's so crazy. We had it in all these different places, right. but we never, it was just, I don't know if it was in storage or it was mm-hmm. what. But, and if you think about, you know, did you pay movers to yeah. help you pack it and move it? And then, you know, something. How I, much has it cost? Yeah, yeah. How much has that cost you over the year? Yes, it might've been a gift, but you've invested a lot of time and energy into moving this thing from place to place to place to place. Yeah. And something that I bring up in my latest minimalism post is, you know, the energetic equilibrium. Like we have it in our body and we have it in our house. So whether or not you consciously or subconsciously believe in this, every single object takes up a certain amount of energy in your home. So if you throw off that equilibrium, at some point you're going to start to feel dense, heavy, crowded, chaotic. I can't think straight, you know, And it definitely, I feel it. I'm very intuitive. I'm extremely empathic. I walk into someone's space and I can pretty much spot on tell you exactly what's going on and where the energy flow is blocked. Um, It's a big part of what I do is to feel into where those places are in the home that are this might be a little woo-woo, but you know where it is blocked energetically because all of these things take up space and they collect dust. So there's yeah. you know other things that are very real and very tangible that you can see when you have a lot of stuff. It's a lot more stuff you need to dust. It's a lot more stuff that can collect. Yeah, no, energy. it's interesting you say that it's a little woo-woo because I'm I'm an East Coaster, right? And so my my initial response to all this, I feel like that there's a different there really is like a different mindset, East coast, West coast. Mm. And I've been here for 12 years now. So my background always has me thinking like, Oh, come on. Like, you know, there's energy, but I'm also an actor. I've also been exposed to a lot of it. And I really agree with you. I mean, it's just when there's no clutter, I feel freed up to do really my work that I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. And when there's clutter, it's, so I, I don't think it's, it's woo woo at all, but I, I think it can sound that way to part of the population, right. you know? Uh, and, and yet I think it's absolutely true. And I feel like, you know, my wife and I are having conversations about this where I'm like, well, and there was something with our daughter the other day with, a. I don't know what it was. She had something and I think it was broken. And I was like, we're raising little hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, a, it was like a toy that she had that like clearly should have been gone, but she still had it. And I'm of like, course. Oh my God, we got to get rid of this stuff. But you there's know? no denying that there is a physiological thing that happens to a person. You walk into a room, it's crazy clutter. There's stuff everywhere. And then let's say you clean up your closet, you clean up the room, whatever, you straighten it out, you create order, or you clean out your closet and you get rid of five bags that are dropped off at a donation center. There is no denying that you feel better after that's done. There is a very physiological experience that happens. I mean, I feel like I breathe better. I feel 10 pounds lighter every time I drop something off to be donated. Agreed. you know, yeah. sent to a rescue center or and whatever. And you feel like someone else is, that, that's the thing that I, I feel like someone else is finding value in it. Someone else is benefiting from it. It's not just throwing it away. It's right. actually giving it to someone because 
a lot of times that's the debate is, you know, you've got this, um, you've got this thing and you go, well, this is actually a good thing, or this is a nice piece of clothing. I don't want it. But so if someone else can go enjoy it, use it, that makes me feel better. And giving that item or that object a second life, because if it's just sitting, not being used in your house, it's not having a life. It's just taking up dead weight. And it's, it's that, you know, it's that kind of spiritual thing, but giving it to a donation center or to a shelter or or whomever that can actually use it and give it a life and give it a purpose instead of just hanging around without any sort of. (laughs) It's like Toy Story. (laughs) You don't don't have kids, but the Toy Story, they get, you know, Andy gives his toys to the the young girl and then she starts to use them. And there's a whole new story. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and so, so uh, in, get, in getting introduced to you, it was actually uh, Amy pointing me to your Instagram, um, what do you call that? Feed. Instagram feed. <laughs> and, and I saw that you are a, uh, a meditation teacher as well. Correct. Br- you, or, but you called it something, you said breathing teacher. Breathwork meditation. Breath, breathwork meditation. Mm-hmm. And I saw that and I immediately thought, Oh, okay. That's good. First of all, you're coming through Amy, who's very mindful. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, breathwork, meditation, I thought, okay, if there's going to be anybody that we're going to let into <laughs> the house to do this, maybe this is the person because it is going to be mindful. It's not you coming in and going, this goes here and this goes here and this right. goes out. So how, what came first, the breathwork meditation or the declutter business? The decluttering business uh, came first. It was spawned from about seven and a half years of working in the fashion industry. I always found myself as a wardrobe stylist being way more drawn to creating a really beautiful feeling in wardrobe trailers and having them be meticulously organized and almost set up like a retail store. Um, I did a lot of commercials and a lot of uh, print advertising work. And I started to get really burnt out and I really wanted to not have a production company tell me what time I needed to be on set somewhere. You know, I just, I got really tired of that life and I knew that I wanted to create something of my own, but I wasn't sure what that looked like. And, uh, one of the wardrobe stylists I assisted a lot, he actually sent me to one of his client's houses and said, I can't find anything in her closet. Can you please go organize it? Cause he just innately knew that this was a skill I had and he really, you know, promoted me to do this. And so I went over there and I found myself working in her closet, I want to say for about 10 hours. And it felt effortless. It felt like completely in flow, almost like an athlete, you know, when you just start to lose yourself in a run or on a spin bike and you get that like amazing nice and rush. It was like that for me. Um, and I had no idea. And you had so much no expectation had of that happening. When you went there, were no. you kind of like, ah, yeah, I'm going to go help out this guy. Well, first of all, I was really nervous because the person was a celebrity. And so I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go to organize this person's house. And, you know, I was much yeah. younger then. And so there was a little bit of insecurity and I was really nervous. Um, but she ended up loving it. And she was a client of mine for a very, very long time. So that was the transition where I was still half wardrobe styling and then half uh, mostly just doing people's closets. And there was a thing that happened between this particular stylist and myself. So I ended up leaving, not working for him anymore. Um, And I immediately sent an email out to just a small network of people saying, hey, I've decided to open open an organizing business. And at the time it was called Organizing by Lily because I didn't know what to call it. (laughs) It's very creative. You know, yes, Organizing by Lily. And, you know, I'm open for business. And I sort of hung my shingle and... It's amazing. I mean, some of those people from seven years ago are still my clients today. And it just led from one th- one person to the next person to the next person. Um, you know, and I've been very busy for the past seven years doing this. In the process of that and starting this business, um, I lost my father right in the beginning of um, doing this transition. And <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's okay. He's uh he, he was sick for a very long time. For about 10 years, he had cancer and didn't get his, he was in remission and he didn't get his PSA, ch- PSA checked when he should have. So for all you men out there, please, please continue to get your PSA checked on a regular basis. Um, and how old, how old was he? He was, you? how old was I? Or how, how old was, was he? He was 63. He was very young, you know, for this day and age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And there are other, you know, there are other reasons, you know, probably why he deteriorated sooner than he probably should have, which I'm happy to get into. If we want to talk more about my, uh, the whole reason really that I got into organizing and started doing it from a very, very young age from about the time I was seven, I can remember starting to reorganize my drawers in my closet was because he actually was a very high functioning alcoholic. So for me, organizing and having control, like you mentioned in the beginning of this, over my environment when things were so, you know, uncontrolled in a way, like I never knew, is daddy going to come home drunk tonight? Or is he going to be in a good mood? Is he going to be in a bad mood? So it was a way for me to really create a safe place in my bedroom, knowing that that was under my control, you know, and the same with my bathroom and everything. So what was a coping mechanism that I learned from a very, very young age then I think sort of turned into, how could I say this? Um, just that sense of needing to have control over every environment made me feel very safe. So I've always, you know, been the type of person that moves into a new apartment and it's like, it's set up in three, three days. The yeah. art is hung. Everything is done, 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 because that makes me feel really safe. Like space and homes are always my safe place. Um, and it's really important to me to have an environment that feels comforting and relaxing and really inviting for guests and whatnot. Cause I didn't always grow up with that. I mean, I had a beautiful house. My mother was extremely type A, super organized, very clean, you know, but the Do you energy- think she was also compensating oh, in some 100%. way because she was married to someone that it felt like there was a lack of control. So she was, yeah. Yeah. And I think, it's also just in her DNA. I mean, my grandmother was the same way as far as keeping and a tidy house. And that's what may have attracted them to each other mm-hmm. in the first place that he found someone who could yeah. kind of logistically get it done. And she found someone who was exciting. <laughs> and make everything look really pretty on the outside. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, very stereotypical 1950s housewife mentality. Not to say that that's bad, but, you know, I grew up with a mother who, you know, didn't leave the house without her makeup on. Um, and everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. We're great. Everything's great. So I think I translated that into my home environment, you yeah. know, like no matter what was going on with me, my bed was always made and, you know, the, the throw pillows were always in the perfect place because that is what made sense to me. Yeah. You know? Where was this? Where did I in grow San up? San Diego? Did well, you know? I grew up, I was born in San Francisco. My father got an opportunity, a business opportunity in Norman, Oklahoma, actually. Oh. So I lived there for about eight years and then we moved back to California. And so I mostly grew up in San Diego. Okay. Um, I feel like we got a little off topic from where. No, no, you were <laughs> saying about. Going. Well, you know what? There is no topic. Here. I mean, like, it, honestly, that's. Because you the, asked where it came. Where, I asked, uh, yeah, where, uh, where it came from. No, and you kind of went into, you know, your father and that control and. Uh, and that that's you know it's it's so interesting because you have you sit down with someone and i feel like i keep saying this so forgive me anyone who's listening but you sit down with someone it it doesn't matter who it is if you start asking questions i guarantee you you come across it's like you know it's like a a landmine because yeah. we all have them you know and it's and I knew there would, there was some, you know, this is a very, it's a, it's a unique business to have on your own. So I knew there's got to be some specific story and reason why you're here. I had no idea that's what it was, but that (laughs) makes perfect sense to me. Um, And so I appreciate you sharing that with me because kind of the idea is for people, you know, out there listening, I, I think it's also cool that you you had this skill, so you you kind of honed it as mm-hmm. a as a self protective thing, right? Right, and then you get into this other field. And have you ever read The Artist's Way? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know how she talks about like shadow artists mm-hmm. and shadow fields, kind of. I don't know if she says shadow fields, but the gist being that you kind of you gravitate toward these areas where, you know, you need, or your skill is needed, but it's not necessarily like on the nose. It's almost like you yeah. found yourself in that. I find that interesting, but you are still doing your particular zone of genius. As another guy I interviewed said, uh, th- it's like, that was your zone of genius. And no matter what you did, it was going to be found out. Mm-hmm. Like the other guy <laughs> saw it, he sent you there. And then 
here it is. You go to this, whoever the celebrity, you go to their house and then they love you. And then bing, bing, bing. Right. Here you are. Because my, you know, in my head, when I was a little girl, I was going to be a country Western singer or I was going to be Madonna. You know, that was my, <laughs> that was where I was going. Yeah. And then it shifted to being a broadcast journalist. That's what I thought I was going to do. And every time I tried to put myself in those places, it felt very unnatural and very uncomfortable. Um, and as a child of an alcoholic, we tend to be what are considered highly sensitive people. So we're extremely sensitive to energy environments. Um, we pick up on things very easily. Um, so getting back to, you know, what came first, the organizing or the meditation teaching after I lost my father, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty devastated. I was pretty lost for that first year of starting a business, (laughs) losing my father. And from the time I was about eight years old, I had also had an eating disorder another way to control, right? Mm -hmm. Because women love to control something when their environments feel out of control. So another way I controlled was with food. Um, And I remember, you know, being obsessed with exercise and how much I was eating and how much I was not eating. And so that fun thing followed me well into my, I would say late twenties, early thirties ish. And I knew this one year for New Year's Eve, I had kind of had it. I'd done Overeaters Anonymous. I had seen psychics. I had gone to yoga retreats. I had, you know, drank a lot. I'd done a lot of drugs. I'd kind of, you know, been hanging out with the wrong guys. I'd kind of done all the things that one can do to either find themselves or numb the pain enough to kind of get through the next day. And I was done. I was really done. So a girlfriend of mine who was recovering from breast cancer said to me, hey, do you want to go with me to this retreat for New Year's? And I said, sure. I I just want to do anything that doesn't have to do with a bar, a club, (laughs) needing to fit into a tight dress, like whatever it is, I'm down to do it. And I bought a plane ticket on Southwest to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I went on this guy, David Elliott's website, and I bought the retreat ticket. I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. I didn't know How that- How many, which, which New Year's is this? How This long? was six years ago. Six years ago, okay. Um, I didn't know that I was going to be doing this breathwork meditation thing. I didn't know that he was going to do a fire walk like Tony Robbins does. I didn't know anything. I've done that, by the way, with Tony Robbins. <laughs> I've done it three times. Have you? With David, not with Tony. No. Um, and I just fully surrendered. I just was like, okay, whatever this looks like, I'll do it. I'll go. And, um, of course my plane was delayed for like six hours. I get there late. (laughs) I was the last one in on the Friday night opening circle. Um, and the second night is when you do the first breathing exercise. And there was about 54, 55 people there, I'd say. And everybody's laying down on the floor and we start doing this breathing thing. And after about, I don't know, 10 minutes of doing the breathing, tears just started rolling out of my eyes uncontrollably. And I felt for the first time in my life, like this overwhelming sense of love for myself that I had never felt ever. So my entire life, I think had been built around, you know, perfectionism and doing it right. And you know, trying to get skinny or trying to be the prettiest girl in the class or, you know, trying to get the hottest guy or, you know, all these ways that we think we're supposed to be in the world and then beating myself up so fiercely when I wasn't attaining these really kind of crazy high standards that I had for myself. Um, And I had heard, you know, yogis talk about, oh, my heart just cracked wide open. And I was like, what are these people fucking talking about? That's a bunch of woo-woo, you know, hullabaloo. Like, I don't even get what that is. But I'm telling you, in that moment of lying on the floor in New Mexico at David Elliott's house, tears running down my face, I experienced a self-forgiveness like I've never experienced before in all the years of therapy and yoga and, you know, seeing shamans and healers and all of these things that I had done up until that point in my life. This breathing thing opened up something inside of me that changed my life forever. Wow. And so it wasn't perfect, you know, the first year of getting into that practice and doing it. It was really hard. I cried every single time. I did breath work. Really? Every time. 
And it wasn't like you were, it just happened. It was just like a physical thing that it just it would the bring tears, something up. The tears would just come every single time. And I think I'd been living my life so fast without ever allowing myself the time and space to really understand or process any of my feelings. And I also was on a really steady stream of antidepressants for about seven years on and off of them. And I never processed my dad's passing because I was on all these antidepressants. I didn't really allow myself to have those feelings. So the breath really allowed me a pathway to get into those unprocessed feelings. Um, and so I cried every time for the first year I did it and it was almost miserable. I don't want to do this, you know, but I, I knew there was something for me on the other side and, um, yeah, it continues to be the thing that I do. I mean, I do it at least three times a week. If I only can get five minutes in, that's enough. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be daily or strict or. What's the, <clears throat> uh, the gist the of the actual so exercise? The, the actual exercise is yeah. you're lying down. That's good. You're lying down the entire time. And then all the breathing is actually done through the mouth. So you don't do any breathing through the nose in the practice. You take a big, deep, full breath into the low belly, and then the second breath up into the high chest, and then you exhale out. So it's two inhales in, and then one exhale out. Um, and the thought process behind the whole concept is that we tend to hold onto in this lower belly region, all of our, what I like to refer to as our traumas and dramas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and a yoga teacher said this to me once and it made so much sense. She said, all the issues are in the tissues. So breathing in this way where we get to really bring life force oxygen into the body, specifically into that low belly area, and then up into the high chest helps us to connect with the emotions and really allow this opening to experience some of the stuff that we tend to shove down. Because most of us are shoving our feelings down yeah. with food or alcohol or whatever, you know, and it's all in that low belly area. Yeah. So clearing out any stuck stagnant energy you have in that low belly area is really what helps one to get in touch with their feelings. And then most of us cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, then the second breath coming up into the high chest, I like to imagine. And I tell my students, you know, mixing a little love into whatever that stuff is that you're right. releasing and then letting it out. Huh? Yeah. That's really cool. So, uh, tell us, do you, you teach at unplug I do. In, in Brentwood? I is guess it's considered it Brentwood. I where don't know if that? it's Santa Monica or Brentwood. It's on Wilshire, just west of Bundy. Wilshire, just west of Bundy in Santa Monica or Brentwood. We Whatever. Don't know. It's called Unplugged Meditation. <laughs> Meditation. Okay. And I think it's, uh, so my sister was out from the East Coast mm -hmm. and she went there mm -hmm. to take Amy's class. And she said when she got there, she thought, huh, and it looks familiar. And then she saw something, some kind of press that they got or maybe Us Weekly or somewhere like that, mm. that I guess it's a place that's kind of had some, has it been around for a while or? I think that it was established, I want to say two or two and a half years ago. And oh, it's that recent. She, Susie, uh, the owner is the pioneer in this type of studio. She's the first person to create a meditation only studio. And since then, many others have followed in her footsteps and have created similar types of places. But the whole concept being that every class is under one hour. So people, unless it's a special event, a workshop or something different, but all the regularly scheduled classes are less than an hour because we're all so busy, but yeah. everybody has less than an hour, I think, to just <laughs> yeah. give back to themselves and take some time and space for themselves. And how did you get involved with them? Because you just, so you go to this guy, David Elliott's mm -hmm. place. Mm-hmm. I have Six this experience, yes. <laughs> you have this experience. Now, because I'm trying to always link it to people who are listening, I, I like that I point over to your couch and to Frankie, your dog, <laughs> who's dog. asleep on the couch. Like Frankie is so done with this conversation right now. Mm. Look at him. He's just like out cold. Um, he's like, this isn't really that. In I've heard this story. Uh, but, you, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to link it to people who are listening, which is, you know, here you were what I admire about you is that you, one, you are thrust into this one situation. It becomes, uh, you know, it becomes a, a business. Then you have this 
tragedy with losing your dad. And then you kind of find yourself in this yoga retreat out of nowhere, kind of. And now all of a sudden you're teaching. This is only, let's see, six. She opened it two years ago. So four years after that, you're teaching at this pretty hip meditation spot in LA. So how'd you do that? (laughs) I'd like to just say that I'm a really badass manifester. (laughs) I just put something out in the universe and it just comes to me. Um, I mean, I was teaching before, um, just at different places around Los Angeles, but it took me about two years and completing all the David Elliott trainings because he does have a series of trainings. Oh, so he certifies to, you to correct, do this. He certifies okay. you to do um, teaching. It's a four-part training program. Do you have to go somewhere <laughs> to do that? Is it online? Is it, what is the... You work directly. Uh, he does groups. So one through four they're held in different places, but you can do them in New Mexico or you can do them in Los Angeles. Um, I actually now teach level one. So if people want to get certified with level one, I teach that now, which is another, I mean, it's another crazy thing. I mean, it never, my life has taken so many different twists and yeah. turns. It's never thought that I would be, you know, certifying people to teach. But that, that's the, that's and the, you know, w- yeah, that's why cool. you're being interviewed right now, because there, are, you know, that's what happens, I think, is the the people that kind of follow these unique paths. They just they can't they find themselves here without. Right. I think it's that you just seems to me seems to me that you've just followed these strings of inspiration mm-hmm. and they've taken you to pretty cool places. And now here you are <laughs> and you do all these different things. And and uh, how do you integrate your decluttering business with meditate, you know, meditation teaching right. and h- how does that work? So I, I mean, to answer your question about how I started teaching on plug, I actually went to them and asked, can I teach here? Because I was living about two blocks away from the studio at the time. And when it opened, I thought to myself, I'm just, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to give this gift that I received, you know, from that retreat to other people and, because the practice is so incredibly powerful, I just want to introduce it to as many people as I possibly can. And, you know, there was a teacher who was there every single Sunday at a, you know, a class that was guaranteed that I could go to. And she showed up so gracefully and so effortlessly. And I would just hope that <clears throat> to be able to give that back to someone is so important to me. Yeah. Um, And so originally it was just a regular breathwork class. And then what we learn in the David Elliott, you know, training style is we integrate other elements such as essential oils and sage and Palo Santo and all the other, you know, healing tools. Um, And so I asked the owner, can I change this class to be a sage healing meditation class because I wanted to integrate a lot of what I do in people's homes when they are interested in it and like it is to use sage to clear energy or to use Palo Santo to cleanse spaces and whatnot. So these other healing tools. Can you explain that Palo Santo did? I don't know. If I, did you say it already? And I, I said, lost it. No, or I haven't explained what, what, yeah, it explain is. what that is. So Palo Santo is a wood that is dried for about 10 years before it can be actually burned. So it's similar to sage in that it helps to clear space and clear spaces, energy and everything. Um, it tends to be more directly related to when there are lineage things. So maybe something that you've been dealing with for a long time that goes back to, you know, your mother and then your grandmother had the same issue and your great grandmother had the same issue. Or, you know, if you've been struggling with relationships and you keep to, you keep to see, you keep to seem attracting the same relationship, even though it's not the relationship that you really want, yeah. then I might burn some Palo Santo around, you know, your bedroom or any of these areas in your home that seem to be bringing up the same recurring issue over and over and over again. Um, And smoke like incense, you know, has been used for centuries to clear air. It's actually scientifically proven that I don't think I, I didn't realize that burning sage actually helps to purify and cleanse air. So as much as it's like a, you know, a spiritual thing, it is actually a real air purifier. (laughs) That's really, that's cool. Well, where my mind is going is I've been working with a coach on, on a, a show that I'm working on right now. Um, and there was something happening where I said this scene, it feels like I've, I've played this scene already. They keep writing this. Mm-hmm. There's like a similar dynamic happening. And even some of the themes that were 
in the role harken back to some roles I've played in the past. And she said, it's like a kind of Jungian based teaching mm-hmm. where they do a lot of dream work. And, and the philosophy behind it is that, you know, when you're kind of working out an issue, it will keep reappearing until you kind of figure your way through <laughs> it and then you'll get past it. And it sounds like this sounds like a similar theory, but with, you know, you know when you're talking about lately, mm-hmm. she, my coach calls it the sins of the father. You know, mm. that they, they will follow, you know, in, in yeah. the lineage of a family. And it kind of sounds like you're talking about something similar. It's just interesting to hear. I mean, it's definitely, it's exactly the same, you know, and I always say that, you know, the issues keep showing up until you're willing to do it differently. Like when you're ready to be done with that and when you're ready to make a different choice and choose a different path, then it will change, but you kind of have to keep getting the lesson over and over and over until you get it. And sometimes that takes us in these human suits a little bit longer than it might take, you know, someone else. Yeah. Um, But I really link the two as far as organizing someone's home or creating space in someone's home and the breathwork meditation or just meditating in general. I mean, how can you know what you want your house to feel like if you're not clear inside? You know, how do you know that something's off in your house if you're not totally clear within yourself? So I love to do breathwork with clients, you know, setting intentions around their space, around how they're feeling inside and really create this very sacred space not only within yourself, but within your house, because those two things, I mean, your home is generally an outward reflection of whatever's going on within you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling a little scattered and, you know, things are just thrown here and it's not done in a very intentional way, most likely there's something going on within the person that's causing them to not be as thoughtful in their home or not put things back where they belong or just kind of shove one more thing into the junk drawer, Um, I mean, I've never met a person who has a junk drawer or has a super crazy cluttered closet (laughs) that doesn't have a deeper thing that they would maybe be interested in looking into and resolving. (laughs) I know. I told you I showed up here. So, so momentarily I've been doing these uh, interviews on the road in, uh, in people's space, not in my own right now. Um, And I showed up here hoping that I could find some, some dirt on Lily, but her place is, <laughs> is annoyingly, what is it, feng shui, which we have to talk about because I really don't know what feng shui means exactly. I want to yeah. hear your version of it. Um, but yeah, it really is very peaceful here. It's like, it, it feels very, uh, there's a really nice flow, which is a good advertisement for your business. I guess it would not be good if I showed up and you had like cardboard boxes <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not going to use you. <laughs> Um, Yeah, it's a very palpable thing for me. I mean, when things aren't dusted or things aren't in their place, I mean, call it OCD, call it whatever. I mean, maybe it's still, you know, me needing to be in control of my environment. I was just going to ask you that. Is there a, a, uh, in your mind, somewhere where one can take it too far? Absolutely. And you've, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I think of Annette Bening in American Beauty. She's (laughs) like, you know, cleaning everything up. And she's, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of energy, which I think is, you know, just a, a different manifestation of, mm. of a, the problem as well. It's a too, too it's much. It's too far the other way, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, and a coach said this to me many, many years ago, there's no such thing as balance. Like if you can really let that go, that anywhere in your life, you're trying to find balance. <laughs> it's just not really attainable. Because, I mean, let's be honest, if you're working really hard, you're trying to finish a book or you're trying to, you know, start a new business endeavor, if you're planning a wedding, if you're having a baby, you're going to be putting energy into those other places and something else isn't going to get as much attention. That's just a fact. Yeah. So do I make my bed every day? No, I don't. <laughs> Do I put the dishes away every time I leave the house? No, I don't. And that's something I've had to sort of unwind and unlearn, right? Because I could spend hours perfecting and moving things around and then, and then I don't really have a life. Then I would be a prisoner of my own environment. So, you know, there comes a point where 
I think it's great to have a place for everything. I think it's lovely to know where your things are. I think it's so, so important to, you know, every quarter reevaluate your closet, your kitchen, you know, really take stock of what you've accumulated over the year, you know, maybe every six months. I like to do it quarterly. I just did a huge closet clean out. Um, but yeah, I mean, obsessing over every square inch of your house is definitely too far the other yeah. direction. I think that it's really for me about having fun with it and how yeah. can you make it the most enjoyable process ever? What because are some criteria that you have with like, stuff? say you're going through, uh, yeah, like how do you um, determine that? Oh, I guess you kind of said it in the beginning if you're still finding joy from it. Mm-hmm. But let's say we're looking at it, you know, I mean, that could that happens with me. I have, I'm not, I'm like the worst shopper because mm-hmm. I don't shop. And then once in a while I'll go and then I'll get like 16 of the same thing. Right. Um, and then I I'll have, I'll hold on to things for way too long, but what, what is it that you, is it just that just, do you find joy in it? Cause I don't know people can interpret that differently. Or do you say, when's the last time you wore this? Is there a certain amount of time that Yes. I mean, I definitely ask that question very often. When was the last time you used this? When was the last time you wore this? I mean, there's this very, a lot of people say, you know, well, if you haven't used it in a year, then you're not going to use it, you know, ever again, probably. And there's always this, you know, someday syndrome, (laughs) which I find with a lot of people, I might use that someday or someday my daughter is going to want that. And I mean, you can't really predict if your child is going to want that 20 years from now when they're old enough to wear it or, and again, it's that whole idea of how much time and energy do you want to have to invest in storing something for a later date? Do you want it taking up the space in your house? Um, But I do ask people, you know, when was the last time you wore this? And if they haven't worn it in a year, why? What was, because most likely we attach ourselves to about 20% of our closets and wear that because it's our favorite things, or it's the thing that's on the top of the pile that we see all the time, right? It's the primacy recency thing. So it's the thing that you see the most recently. And then the last thing that you saw, that's probably going to be the thing in most in rotation. Um, Things such as, you know, China or silver or crystal, or, you know, even perfume or things that people tend to value and put away for special occasions. I don't really believe in that. I think that, you know, have a summer barbecue and use your China. Why should it sit in the cabinet all year long and just be used for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, you know, whatever special holiday? Well, that's part of the whole wedding racket, I think, right? you know, and there are so many things that are part of that wedding racket where they make you, you know, you're young. And I feel like, you know, we have China and we, we've now used it, but there, there was, it's, it's like, it, there, it has spent so much of its life away, mm. you know, and I think it's ridiculous. Right. And know? I think, but, I think that there's nothing wrong with giving yourself permission to let things go even if they were a gift or even if you worry, you know, well, what's Aunt Edna going to think if she comes over and she doesn't see that vase that she gave us for our wedding? You know, it's your life. It's your house. And I always tell my clients that you should never allow somebody else to take away your own power in your house because they're, they don't live with you. It's not yeah. their environment that they're coming home to every single day. Yeah. You should have the things around you that really light you up, that bring you joy, that make you happy, that inspire you or make you feel calm. You know, all of those things that we don't necessarily get in our external environments, especially with how fast the world is nowadays. Your house yeah. should really embody whatever the qualities of peace that you want to have to recharge and reset. Um, so yeah, have you used it in a year? If you haven't, why? And yeah. then if you're holding on to things because someone gave them to you and you feel bad giving them away, I just release you all from that notion right now. You do not have to hold on to it just because it was a gift. Yeah. Um, I think Marie Kondo said this best in her book that gift giving is really about the joy of giving someone a gift. Like that's the best part of it. The person gets really excited because they get to give you this thing. And that's the energy that we should be focused on, right? Not the actual thing. Because I get really excited to give somebody a present. It makes me really happy. But it's not like you're thinking, oh, I hope they're using this thing two years later. Yeah. In fact, I tell people, if you don't like it, give it to someone else. Yeah. (laughs) 
but yeah. I'm obviously probably different than most people. Yeah. Or when I hand someone my business card, I say, please put it in your phone and then put this in the recycling bin because you don't need to hold on to my card. Yeah. Even though they all say, oh, it's so cute. It's so right. tiny. And which is great. And it's novel. And hopefully it helps people remember me a little bit. Right. But it's, but it's not a necessary thing that I would ever expect someone to hold on to. Yeah. I think it's all the things are definitely impermanent, right? And they're replaceable with the exception of certain things, maybe a family heirloom or, you know, jewelry or certain things that are very unique and um, handcrafted, yeah. which <clears throat> is great also. But again, I mean, I think that we've kind of shifted our values a bit in society nowadays. Really the things that are the most important are how we feel, the people we surround ourselves with, how do we, you know, what difference are we making in the world? The stuff comes and goes all the time. And we have, when we obsess about what it is that we have, we really lose track of what the whole point of life is about. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, there's, that's not a new concept. You think about what's the, I'll completely butcher it, but the, the biblical quote about, you know, all of these things can, can't pass through the eye of the needle, whatever it's, you you know, Mm -hmm. once you leave here, it's not like you're taking your bank account with you or your collections with you. It's, it's, it is about the relationships and, you know, the experiences. And if the stuff can help you for a little while on the journey, great. And if it can't, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, what are some things or principles that you would say, and this isn't even to do with, with stuff, but just in general, you, you strike me as someone who's kind of, as you said, this manifester. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some kind of, you know, some things that you would advise people not to do? It sounds like you kind of take chances. You follow your instinct. You, mm-hmm. uh, is there anything that you would advise people like, you have this idea, don't sit on it. Don't, what, what are some of your life philosophies and I have a story. I have a a little organizing story that plays into that question. A friend of mine came to me and he said, I really want to find my wife. You know, I really want to call in a romantic partner into my life. I, you know, I'm of the age. I want to, you know, start getting, you know, thinking about getting married and, you know, I need to start dating, but my room is a mess (laughs) and my closet is a nightmare, right? Would you come over and help me? clear out my, my room and help me organize my space. So I went over there and it wasn't that much stuff, but, you know, I just came up with a better solution for how he had some of the things arranged in his space. <clears throat> and in his closet, there was no room for a woman to come over and hang up her coat or have a couple extra, you know, dresses or something. And in the bathroom, there was no space for somebody to have toothbrush, deodorant, brush, you know. So, we cleaned it up and it only took about a day. He ended up buying a different desk and I think a bookshelf or something to, you know, round out the space and got some nice new sheets and a duvet. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a little bit of personality. Preparing his yes. place. And I would say about four months later, he met her after a series of horrible online dates. But then he met her and they just celebrated their one year anniversary. And I was actually the best woman in his wedding and they are very happily married. Wow. So I would just say to anybody who is trying to call in something new into their life, whether it's a relationship, a baby, um, a new business deal, ideal clients, you know, creating space within your home to let those things come in. Because if you want to have a child and there's no space for that child to be when it comes into the world, it can create a lot of blocks energetically. You know, I similarly wanted to be in a relationship, but my, I lived in a really, really small bungalow at the time and there would have been no place for a man to come and have his toothbrush. And so I cleared an entire closet that was supposed to be my linen closet. I cleared it out completely. And probably the same framework about four months later, he came and that's why I live here now. Wow. <laughs> um, so just having, you know, for me, I do, I do things 
my boyfriend always comments, he's such an analyzer. We're very, very different. He's a Virgo. He likes to analyze, research, do all of his back end. I'm very emotion-based and very intuitive when it comes to my decisions and things that I just, I get very clear messages. Usually in breath work, I will ask for a sign, guidance, tell me, you know, next steps on this particular thing. And then I'll meditate on it. And I make decisions a lot of times based on the messages I receive in those sessions. But then other times, you know, there are things that just come very easily to me. And I'll say, I want to teach at a really great studio where I can reach a lot of people and change a lot of people's lives. And then one thing led to another and Unplugged Meditation opened (laughs) literally two blocks from my house. And, you know, I met with Susie and it was, it was on. So, I mean, I might be different. I've, I've definitely worked very hard in a lot of areas of my life um, to achieve things. And it hasn't always been easy, but most of the time when I set my mind to something, I get it. So life philosophies would be, you know, always have fun no matter what you're doing because <laughs> it goes by really, really fast. Yeah. Um, and just always be really aware and clear with your energy and what it is that you really want. Because the more clear you are with how you want your house to feel, how you want your relationships to feel, what you want your business to look like, any of those things, the more you have that very clear intention, the more you begin to believe and manifest and see these things come to fruition. If you're super cloudy and muddy and, oh, maybe I want this or maybe I want that, it's really challenging, I think, yeah. to go in a direction that gets you to achieving your goals. I agree. Uh, let me ask you, it's, I mean, this is called 10,000 no's and we've talked about one, the one, the big no that kind of led to all this was, was a proverbial no, which was, um, your father's, uh, you know, the, the alcoholism at, at a young age and having to deal with that. That's a, that's just a huge one, but even within just so, just so, you know, uh, people don't feel like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so she decided to do this. Well, great for her. She, you know, <laughs> She's got a great life and she's got this great business. She did it six years ago, seven years ago, and now right. everything's great. Great. Yeah, I love everything's Lily. perfect. And my life sucks. Right, you know? right. Um, so what within doing that and manifesting and starting this business, um, what what were some, if there were any, were there any hiccups? Were there any times when you doubted yourself when you thought, this is absolutely nuts? I'm gonna be a declutterer, like mm-hmm. organization by Lily. What is that? You, you know, like did you did you <laughs> oh, have There were many times I had thought really long and hard about walking into Trader Joe's and just saying, I just want to be a manager. Just let me have, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But starting your own business and having the responsibilities of, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I'm incorporated now and I have payroll and I have all these things that, you know, I saw my father was an entrepreneur, so I had no idea that. It was going to turn into... And you're just learning on the job. I'm totally on the fly. Like, How were you... You have... I know you have at least an assistant working for mm -hmm. you. Do you have more than that? Or is it... Mm -hmm. Is is that... You have several people working for you? I mean, I have... I have a bookkeeper that I work with. I have a tax accountant that I work with. I have a full-time employee. I have um, two other freelancers that help me on a per-project basis. I have another person who helps me probably six hours a week with just personal help, you know, running errands and it kind of crosses over a little bit into my business, but, you know, dropping off donations for clients. I mean, it definitely takes a village. Do you have an office that that, where that full-time employer uh, employee is? I do not offsite. I mean, it's currently here at my house. So our garage is converted. It's half of it is my office and half of it is my healing space. So when I do private sessions with people with either Reiki or breath work, that all goes down here. So one side of the curtain is where we do the healing and the other side of the curtain is where we get the business done, but yeah. you know, we get a lot of business done in breath work as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've had to say no to, I think, you know, what happens when you become incorporated, you get all these solicitations from people who want something from you yeah. <laughs> because your name gets out there. You know, I mean, Google's calling you every day, you know, we can help you get your net listing up higher. But I'm like, yeah. I can't deal with this right now. Right now I'm trying to find the perfect basket for so-and-so's pantry. Yeah. Um, but I've had to say no to a lot of things that seemed very shiny and interesting, but really 
I'm constantly asking myself and another coach in my life asked me every time an opportunity comes and you just need to be asking yourself, is that getting you closer to your goals or further away from your goals? And I'm constantly asking myself, what what is that goal? Like what, you know, and I always want to have fun. That is a huge part because the beginning of my life was not so much fun, you know, and now I just want to have as much fun as possible. I want to have as much joy in my life. I want to laugh with my clients. I want to look at their 50 sweaters and be like, this is really funny, isn't it? (laughs) And even in breath work, it's kind of funny. You know, we're all lying on the ground for 45 minutes, breathing on the ground. So um, I've said no to a lot of things that feel out of alignment. You know, I've said no to alcohol and drugs. I've been sober for six years now. Um, I've said no to dating. Do you do meetings for that as well? Or is it just the breath work has done, has (laughs) has filled the void? The breath work definitely fills the void. I mean, I'm always going to be the type of person that is doing some kind of personal development work. So right now I'm in a coaching program for my business. Um, I'm always super interested in, you know, going to David Elliott's retreats and doing things within my breathwork community because that keeps me really solid and connected and whole. Um, And then saying no to retreats or things where people ask me to come in to teach the breathwork where it feels super out of alignment. And it's taken me time to realize, you know, what, what is important? What is the right thing for me? And sometimes when you get started, you think I have to do everything that someone asks me to do, because if I don't, then they'll forget about me. I mean, right. that was a big thing for me when I first started my business. Um, or I have to take every job that comes because if I don't, then what if they hire somebody else or whatever the thought process is. And it's been really interesting. And maybe it's something about turning 40 because <laughs> I turned 40 this year that I'm so comfortable now with saying no. And I'm also comfortable, even when you asked me about this interview, can I come, you know, can I come on this day? And I said, you know, I need to check my schedule. I need to, you know, be a woman of integrity and a woman of my word. That's something that's really important to me. I don't like making plans and then having to reschedule or cancel. I don't like that energy of backpedaling or, you know, being flaky. That doesn't work for me. which is another thing that's taken me a long time to realize I don't have to answer right away. Yeah, There's something really sacred and beautiful about saying I need a minute before I make that commitment. And that can be with anything that can be, if you're a mom who's being asked on the spot, can you come and bring the cupcakes for the meeting on Friday? And maybe you feel like I have to, I have to say yes. Otherwise I'm going to disappoint someone. And being really clear that, you know, this is like, we get this one life. So really being clear with our choices and knowing that it's okay. Like giving yourself permission to say no. I wrote something about it on Instagram a couple months ago that your no can be just as powerful as your yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm Yeah. I've had varying conversations about that lately. Some people saying, Everybody kind of saying the same thing, but mm-hmm. uh, one friend of mine was saying, um, you know, that it actually is saying yes. Like by saying no to them, to the the cup, bringing the cupcakes, you're saying yes to your child. You know, we're going to spend time mm-hmm. together. I'm not going to go do this thing over here. I'm going to do it. Right. It's, it's just semantics in a way, but making those clear choices. So um, along those lines, uh Deirdre suggested something to me recently, which I did in my last interview. Um, She's now been listening to podcasts and she was like, you should ask your guests. And you kind of just did this in a way. But um, what, if you had advice for your younger self, Mm. if you could go back and meet the young you, what advice Mm -hmm. would you give that girl? Giving myself permission to just do things and not worry so much about the outcome definitely held myself back in a lot of ways early on in life for fear that I would not be accepted or I'd be rejected or if I didn't do it perfectly, that people wouldn't take me seriously. Um, so yeah, I I would say to just 
do things with a little more um, thoughtlessness, if that's <laughs> to not overthink things so much, yeah. you know, and to really enjoy and savor the moments. And I probably would have said no to a lot more things when I was younger. Uh, because I mean, the seven years I was a wardrobe stylist, I mean, it there are seven years that were kind of lost. I mean, I didn't see my friends. I didn't see my family. I just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. Didn't take vacations. You know, I didn't do a lot of the things that people probably do in their late twenties because I was just working all the time. And I think exploring more, taking a little bit more risks, not being so attached to getting that paycheck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even though, That's I mean, great. I have risked a lot. I, I mean, starting a business is pretty risky. And even being a freelance stylist, you never know when your next job is going to come. Yeah. I know nothing about that as an actor. Yeah. No. <laughs> you have no. Everything's totally <laughs> steady for me. Totally it's steady. Solid. Um, well, thank you so much. This is really, <clears throat> it was just a great conversation. And you proved my, my hunch, which is mm. that you would have some kind of interesting story to where you are now and um, thanks for being so open and vulnerable and uh, I really appreciate it thank you thank you thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's if you haven't subscribed to us yet please do so each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone and if you like what you heard please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family we'll see you next week thanks thanks